sin and suffering and making our supplications and our salvation. And the key to the book, when you read the book of Judges, is chapter 21 and verse 25. And this is what it reads. In those days, Israel had no king. There was nobody at the helm, nobody giving direction to the nation. And all the people did whatever seemed right to them in their own eyes. The same thing that was happening then is happening now. We are living in a country where everybody seems to be doing that which is right in their own eyes. We live in a country where there's entitlement to do whatever we want, whenever we want. We are doing whatever seems right to us in our own eyes. You see, God himself has established good and evil. God has said that life is sacred and the greatness of a society may be measured by how well we protect the most vulnerable, the infants and the elderly. But we have passed laws in this great country of ours guaranteeing the right to abortion. And this week we heard a fourth state guaranteeing the right for doctor-assisted suicide. We are doing whatever seems right to us in our own eyes. We find a pattern in the book of Judges, an eightfold pattern. It runs like this. Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then their God sells or delivers them into the hands of oppressors under bondage. And they serve that oppressor. They live in bondage for a number of years. Then Israel cries out to God. And God, in his mercy and compassion, raises up a judge, a deliverer. And the Spirit of the living God is upon that judge. And then the oppression and the oppressor is subdued, and the land finds rest for a number of years. The first of the judges is named Othniel. He's found in Judges chapter 3 and verse 7. It says that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. The lifestyle of the righteous is that they do the right thing. Like a good tree that produces good fruit, so a righteous man, a righteous woman, does the right thing. And contrary-wise, a bad person does the badness stored up in their own hearts. So there is good and there is evil. Sometimes we're afraid to label an action good or an action evil. Like, for instance, if you board an airplane and there's a passenger with some carry-on baggage and they can't get into overhead bin and you help that person out, you would call that action... Let's try again. All right, this, the choices now are good and evil, okay? You're getting on board this airplane and you're carrying your, um, your baggage and you see a passenger that can't help themselves, so you help somebody who can't help themselves, that action is... Very good, you're right. Or if a passenger gets on an airplane carrying explosives, seeking to blow up themselves and everybody on board the plane to destroy the plane, we would call that action evil. Very good. That's a little more controversial one. If you're a hunter and you know that the woods are overpopulated with deer and you take your rifle into those woods and you gun down a deer to provide food for your family. And 
dear bologna for your relatives. You would call that action? <laughs> Most of you would call that action. But if you, <laughs> if you were to go onto an army base and indiscriminately mow down people, fellow soldiers, you would call that action evil. God himself is good. And he gave his people a good and spacious land. He called them to live a good life. But Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. These Baals and Asherahs were the gods of sensuality and sexuality. To serve them, many young women lost their virginity. Many women gave away their sexuality. Many young children were sacrificed in the fires given to Baal. You see, sin has life in it. Sin has the power to suck the life out of us. We play with sin, we entice ourselves with sin, and we find ourselves in bondage to sin. Finally, we discover we've been serving a false god. We have room in our hearts for only one consuming passion. We're to have no gods above the true and living God, but these people forsook the Lord and they worshiped the lesser God. They fell into idolatry, into apostasy. They turned away from God and began to follow these false gods. We read that for eight long years, the people themselves found themselves in bondage. The anger of the Lord burned against them, so he sold them into the hands of an evil king to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. God was good and righteous, and he made covenant with his people, but the people broke covenant with their God. God's anger flows out of his righteousness. This broke the heart of God. God's heart was grieved for the sin of his people, for they sold themselves into bondage to an evil king. The king's name, Kushan Rishishtham, <laughs> means dark or doubly evil. God had given to his people freedom. He delivered them out of Egypt, out of bondage. He delivered them into the promised land, but they sold away their freedom to go back into bondage. The people for eight years did not have freedom. The people for eight years were giving tribute to this king. The evil king would have taken the treasures out of their land. The evil king and his soldiers away from home would have pillaged and ravaged the land. The evil king and his army away from their wives would have exploited the women. The evil king would have treated the people with disdain and contempt. You see, wherever there is sin, there is suffering. What's it like to be in bondage for eight long years? My son Chris works at a medical clinic over in Baltimore where they deal with those dealing with heroin addictions, one of the worst forms of slavery. The golfer John Daly, who won the Las Vegas Open a few years back, earned $1.2 million for his prize. By the end of the week, he had gambled away $3 million. See, by his own confession, he has an addiction to gambling. The tennis player Andre Agassi, U.S. Open champion, confessed recently to an addiction to crystal meth. And he was severely criticized for his addiction. And he said, I would hope 
in the midst of my addiction that I would find compassion and not condemnation. I know a man with an addiction to pornography. Pornography is not something that we talk about much in the church. It is the unspoken secret. When my friend is exhausted and when he's lonely, he's very vulnerable. But he's beginning to admit to his struggles. He's finding increasing freedom. He's bringing what was in the darkness into the light. And God is delivering him. Our God has the power to deliver his children. What happened was that the anger of the Lord burned against this sin, and the people were subject for these eight years. And then God has the power to deliver. For Israel cried out to God. Even in the worst of times, we can cry out to God, who has the power to deliver us. God sees your situation, and God feels your pain, and God hears your cries. God who delivered Noah in the midst of a flood is the very same God who delivered Abraham out of idolatry. And God used Moses to deliver his people. And God would deliver David from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, from the hand of the Philistine. The very same God has the power to deliver you. When they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. This is called supplication, when we cry out to God. We cry out to God on behalf of our children. We cry out to the God on behalf of the person who is in bondage for freedom. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18 says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. When the, when the people cried out, the God of deep compassion raised up for them a deliverer. Most often how God delivers his people is by raising up a deliverer. So what was the name of the first deliverer? His name was Othniel. Othniel, I believe, was a righteous man, a man quietly going about his business, living his life by faith and waiting for his next assignment. When they cried out to God, God raised up the deliverer, Othniel, Caleb's nephew. Do you remember who the person Caleb is in the Bible? Caleb and Joshua? Caleb was one of the 12 spies that went into the land to see the condition of the land. Ten of the spies did not have faith. They saw the cities that were fortified, and the people were big and powerful, and they brought back a bad report, believing they could not conquer the land. But Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies, were men with faith. And Caleb said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Faith means then that I am hearing the voice of God. I am believing the promises of God. I am heeding the commands of God. And I'm stepping into the opportunity God has given. Faith will always have feet and Caleb put feet to his faith. Even though Caleb and Joshua were in the minority, often the majority is wrong. The two in the minority, God promised them, saying, the land onto which you have set your feet, I will give as an inheritance to you and your children. 
So when Caleb was, 40, was 85 years old, this is Joshua chapter 14, it had been 45 years waiting for this very moment. He went before Joshua, who was the leader of the land, and he said these words, I am still as strong today as the day when Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go to battle then as I am now. You see, Caleb was looking for his next challenge. Caleb was up for the next adventure. He said, give me the hill country. <laughs> the hill country was the most dangerous part of Israel. It's where the largest enemies lay. You see, though the enemies were big, Caleb believed his God was bigger. Though the challenge was large, Caleb believed his God was larger. It'd be like a student walking into a campus of a college and taking the toughest class with the toughest professor asking for the toughest test. Caleb was saying, my God is up to the challenge. So Caleb's faith was passed on through his family to his daughter and to this young man, Othniel. God has the power to deliver. And the spirit of God was upon this judge, Judges 3.10. And the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and he went to war. The spirit of God clothed this man with power. The spirit awakened him to realize that as God delivered his children with an outstretched arm out of bondage in Egypt, so God had the power to deliver them again. The Spirit illumined him to understand that God has called us to a life of freedom, not to a life of bondage. The Spirit awakened him to become the deliverer who was sent out to war. Now listen, there are times when we simply need to be still, and the Lord himself will deliver us. But there are other times when the Spirit of God comes upon us, when he calls us to battle. And Othniel was called to battle on behalf of his nation. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We may have given ground to the enemy. We may have surrendered turf to the enemy. But what the enemy has taken, God can take back. God called this man to a battle, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became militant. He went to war. And the oppressor was subdued. And the Lord gave this king into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. Now, you must understand that the enemy has power, but Jesus Christ appeared to destroy the enemy's work. There's the power of the enemy and the power of God. And the power of God overpowered the enemy. You see, it's like this. There's the Lion King and there's Scarface. Scarface has taken forth his kingdom. And when he took over his kingdom, his minions ran through the kingdom. It all became dark and all became scarred because Scarface ruled the kingdom. But then the Lion King came back and took rightful reign over his kingdom and chased off the minions of hell and restored the kingdom to its beauty. You see, when God comes back and begins to do a restoration, there's freedom again to God's people. 
And so the land had peace for 40 years. I like to say that for the 40 days his uncle Caleb walked in the land, so God gave them 40 years of peace through his nephew. Othniel clothed with the Spirit of God. Othniel raised up to be a deliverer. Othniel believing that God could deliver them. Othniel coming from the line of Caleb. Othniel inspiring others to fight. Othniel doing battle with evil. Othniel won the battle against evil and gave rest to the land for 40 years. But there arose another judge whose name was Ehud. And Dan now comes to tell you about him. Test, test, test. Right. That's just so good, huh? That's a gentle man here. He really is. I love him. He's my good friend. They had fallen into this cycle of falling away from God. Okay. And Othniel calls them, he sounds the alarm for battle. Okay, and what Israel was doing, Israel had gone into a downhill spiral of sinning, worshiping idols, being punished, crying out for help, being rescued by a judge sent from God. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes we are exactly like that. Okay, we have to be honest. You have to know something. A, a scripture that I adopt and that I speak to myself daily is that the Bible tells me that I will know the truth and the truth will set me free. Because see, the enemy lies and distorts and roams seeking whom he may devour. That's you and I. Okay? And he has no regard for us. You are disposable to him. You are used to hurt Father God's heart every chance he gets. But yet, if we're not careful, we'll take union with him, this archenemy of our father, this archenemy of our lives. So they had fallen into this. 
Then they would obey God for a season, and then they'd fall back into idolatry. They were held captives by six different pagan tribes over a course of years. Six different pagan tribes. Six tribes that God said to the Israels, you will go there and you will drive them out and you will subdue them and I want you to destroy them. But Israel compromised with them, see. Israel did not obey God and she compromised. Compromise is something that we all do from time to time, but I tell you what, it is a chicken way out. Because when God tells us to do something to the T, he has a purpose for doing it to the T, to the very dotting of every I and the crossing of every T. So they were told to drive them out, <clears throat> but yet they became in bondage with them. At one time, Israel faced civil war among itself, where it almost turned on itself and fought against each other. This is how far they had moved away from Father God. Every time they cried out for help, God would send a deliverer, a judge. Now, as I pointed out last week, this judge is not like Judge Judy. You like Judge Judy? I like Judge Judy, because she tells it like it is, okay? She tells it like it is, which is something America needs. We need voices in the church and in community that tell it like it is. As ours said, we need to know evil, and we need to know good, and we need to know sin, and we need to, with, with God's love and his empowering, we need to cry out against sin, because you know what? Sin is killing innocent people. Innocent babies, young people, marriages, homes. Sin has life to it. Sin is an infection to our spirit like disease is to our flesh. I once said that somewhere and someone said, you said that sin was a sickness. No, I didn't. I said sin has the same effect on our spirit and our communication with Father God as disease can rack our bodies. But yet we like to kind of flirt with it and rub up against it and... You know what? It would be so easy if we could say, wow, I'm walking along, and guess what? Sin jumped on me. <laughs> that doesn't happen. We flirt with it. We entice it. We court it. We invite it in. And the next thing you know, hook, line, and sinker. We compromise. So why did God have to send a judge? A judge's purpose to Israel was to come and point out apostasy the falling away of God's people from God's law and commandment. And with pointing out apostasy, then the judge would call for repentance. The church needs to, we need to walk in repentance today. We need to stop being afraid of repentance, and we need to confess those things that are creeping into our lives that we might be a holy vessel. Because see, the more we confess sin in our lives and get rid of it, the more capacity we have for God to fill, up, fill us up and use us. So see, it's a matter of pouring out the sludge and let God pour in the new wine. Okay? That's what it's about. And confession and repentance does that. And repentance always brings restoration. You will never, ever see restoration that there's not been repentance practiced. When Dan Green repents and takes responsibility for the sin that I've used to advance the kingdom of darkness, and I repent, then restoration comes to Dan Green, and guess what? Guilt and shame goes out the door, and I love that. Because see, God is not the voice of guilt and shame. 
He does not condemn us. He convicts us and draws us to him. Okay? So he brings a judge. And the second judge to Israel is a man, a remarkable man by the name of Ahud. Ahud was remarkable in the fact that he was left-handed. And he was a Benjamite. We have any left-handed people here this morning? I knew my friend Tim. <laughs> Raise him high. I want to see you. I want to see you. Did you know in Bible days you would be a soldier, you'd be a warrior? Yeah, because they, they figured that a left-handed person could strike undetected because the enemy would always look at the right hand, but out of the left hand would come a striking blow. Can you imagine that? So you might be in line to the tribe of Benjamin. I don't know. Come on, you've had lots of identities. For once, adopt a good identity, okay? <laughs> so you've been called lots of things, but never a Benjamite. Well, it's more than you have. So he was a left-handed Benjamite. And this guy, Ahud, I just love his story. So Israel is in, go with me on this journey and, and use your holy imagination to see what's going on here. This is just not a typical Bible story, okay? It's a profound story. And notice as we study judges that the judges go from being kind of like Othniel who cried out and called to war and then Ahud and they get even more extreme like Samson. Samson was an extreme character. I used to envy Samson. You know why? Hair. <laughs> you know? Is God going to use the old bald guy? <laughs> sure. Sure. And they became extreme. But Ahud was this. He was a man that God used in a subtle way to do a profound thing for Israel. So back when Israel adopted idols, they had to pay homage to the idols. They had to pay debt to the idol. Can I ask you this morning, do we have idols in our life? Yes, we do. Can I also ask you this? How much is that idol costing you to keep it? Do you know what I'm amazed? God asks us for 10% loyalty and love, and an idol asks us for everything. And we'll go to the idol every time. I'll empty the bank account for that idol, and God's 10% goes unnoticed and unpaid. And every now and then, we have to get in front of everyone and say, let's remember the tithe that God's house would have meat. But an idol says one thing, and we give it everything. Everything. We sell everything. So he's on his way with some gentlemen to pay a, a sum of money to this evil king called Eglon. Now, Eglon was a very large man. Okay? And the Bible tells us that um, Ehu goes, and he goes in... And he offers this payment to support the worship of idols. Because see, Israel had done sometimes what we do. We like to have Jesus. Don't take Jesus from me. But we want Jesus to hang out with our idols. And Father God says, no, I'm not hanging out with your idols. I'm a one true God. I am the only God you need First two parts of the Ten Commandments is have no other God before me. And then it tells us don't have any graven image. Do we have idols? Yeah, we have idols. 
We have all kinds of idols, things that we put before God that causes us not to trust completely in God. We want to share him. We want to lay our idols on the altar with Jesus, and Jesus says, no, no. What a way to break God's heart. So he makes this payment, and as he's leaving big Eglon, <laughs> big throne, I assume he had a big throne. He was a big guy, the Bible tells us that. And he's leaving, and I can kind of just see that Ehud, his heart might be heavy. Like, man, what, how long are we going to have to pay to do this, this idol worship? And Israel's crying out for deliverance, and Ehud is hearing this, and he knows the distress of the people, and he's walking after making this terrible uh, payment to idolatry. And as he's walking, he goes past this place called Gilgal. Now, Gilgal was a very sacred place to the Israelites. Gilgal is where Joshua, as God led them across the sea and delivered them, uh, Joshua said to the nation of Israel, we are going to take large stones and place them here, and we are going to make this place an altar of remembrance of our deliverance. Do you know that when you came to the Lord, you have your own Gilgal? Each and every one of us who come to the Lord, you have your own Gilgal, that remembrance that God delivered you out of sin and out of bondage. God, I have my own Gilgal, and I don't forget it. But at times, have I tainted it with idols? Yes, I have. And it's broken my heart, and I have to go back to God and say, Father, I'm sorry. And where these rocks were, as he walked by them, he looked, and one commentary said this. These large rocks that were placed there, Joshua said, when your children and your children's children see these rocks, this is what I want you to say to them. I want you to say, God delivered us from Egypt out of bondage. And this is the place that we crossed, that he dried the water up, and we walked over on dry land. You know, I believe God so delivered them, they walked over, didn't get one speck of mud on them. And you will always remember this, but what Israel had done, she had adopted idols of, of Baal and Asheroth. Asheroth was the, the, Baal was the god of fertility, and he required your firstborn. How many of you here have little children? Raise your hand. Let's be, let's be involved here. Okay. How would you like to serve a god that says, give me that firstborn, and I'll bless you? I'll make the moon shine for you. I'll make the sun shine on your harvest, and I'll, I'll strengthen you. How would you like to serve a god that says, give me your firstborn? and they would throw him into the fire. And his counterpart, Asheroth, was the goddess of immorality and sensuality, and she required the innocence of young women. If you want to know more about this teaching, come to Living Waters. We do a very in-depth study of Baal and Asheroth. Is Baal and Asheroth alive today? Yes, they are. Baal and Asheroth are the gods behind abortion and pornography, and they're rampant in our church and in our country. Anytime you're driving down the road and you look over and you see a man looking at pornography and traffic, America is in trouble. I feel a fervent, Pastor, I feel a fervent heat that we have to rise up like Othniel and we have to declare a war cry and we have to strike a blow to the enemy. So, Dan, are you angry this morning? No, I'm passionate about deliverance. I always have been. It's my calling. I'm passionate that God's people be delivered and set free. That is the anointing that is upon this church. 
Isaiah 61. Okay? That is the very anointing that's settling in this church. So what he does, he sees this, and the one commentary says that they even went as far as placing their idols on the stones of Gilgal. Does that break your heart? This is how far Israel came from serving God who had set them free to serving idols that they would have the audacity, the audacity that we would have that audacity to set our idols on stones of remembrance of deliverance and look at the idols before we look at the stones of deliverance. That's what they did. So he, all of a sudden, Ehud, who prior to this and prior to going seeing um, Eglon, had fashioned, the Bible tells us he fashioned a two-edged sword. Sound familiar? What's part of your armor? In Ephesians, it says taking a two-edged sword, word of the spirit. You know that's the only weapon of offense that the, the armor of God gives us? What, so we can butter our bread? I don't think so. And he strapped it to his right thigh. In Bible days, if R and I were to go into covenant and we made a covenant with each other to take care of each other, what we would do is we would approach each other and we would strike each other on our right thigh, meaning we're in covenant. He makes a covenant with God because, see, Ehud's going to take care of the situation. Ehud is fed up. Are you fed up this morning? Are you fed up, really fed up with the idols that are tampering with your household, your family, your neighborhood, your personal spiritual walk? So he goes back to King Eglon and he walks in and he says, I have a message for you. And King Eglon, who's all puffed up and narcissistic and, and full of himself, stands up and he says to all of a sudden, shut up and get out of here. See, I love that because God, when we go and strike a blow for the enemy, God will turn noises off. He'll shut up the negative. See? And we need that. Sometimes God will call Dan, me, to do something, and if I'm not careful, I will reason myself out of it. Well, that person will be offended, or I don't have time to do that, or I'll do that on Thursday. And there's other times when God says, Dan, I want you to act now. Don't waste time. So Ehu goes, and he's back in the presence of king, and now he's just seeing Gilgal, and his heart is heavy because Israel is being given over to idols. And he walks in and says, I have a message for you. The king clears the chambers. And the next thing that um, Ehud says, I have a message from God for you. See, and God is establishing his authority. And Ehud does this remarkable thing. He takes his sword and he plunges it in Eglon. Man, sounds like Lord of the Rings or something, doesn't it? And the Bible tells us that the flesh closed behind the blade. That Ehud didn't attempt to pull it out, and Eglon could not pull it out. Do you know what happened right there? See, Ehud went after the source of the idols, because later on God's going to go after the idols. And he cuts off the source of the idols. He plunges this dagger into Ehud. The dagger disappears Striking a blow, Ehud strikes a blow to the enemy, to the idol. Today, I'm calling you. I am begging you. I am beseeching you with everything in me. It is time that you rise up and you strike a blow to the enemy. Christianity is not supposed to be passive. 
It's supposed to be engaged in response to what Father God tells us and speaks to us. And the moment we become passive, the moment the devil will slap us hard. And if you're sitting here today and you need to strike a blow to an addiction of pornography, to an addiction of, of chemical, to, to the addiction of unbelief, to the addiction of anger, to whatever you need, Today you need to strike that blow. You need to do what Ehu did. You need to take the sword of the spirit that you're equipped with and you need to strike the enemy and sever him. Strike a blow that will hurt him and wound him. And then Ehu does this amazing thing. The Bible says that Ehu goes and as he's leaving, he pulls the door shut and the Bible says he locks it walling off any further relationship with Eglon. And it said that he left through the latrine bathroom. Along comes Eglon's servants. The door is locked. They think he's in the bathroom. But the Bible tells us that when Ehud struck him, Eglon's bowels emptied out. See, that might nerve you a little bit, but to me, that's power. That Dan Green, if I listen to God and do what I'm supposed to do, I can disembowel the enemy. I can strike him, and then God calls me to shut the door, seal it. No more will I have anything to do with Eglon. I seal it. I get rid of it. It's gone. I'm done. And he goes, and he goes up to the high hills, and he calls Israel, and he goes, let's go kill us some heathens. <laughs> Read it. Read it. He was empowered to sever out of Israel the source of her idols. And God continues to send judges to Israel like he continues to send judges to us. I cannot tell you in my life how many Moseses I've had they're, they're innumerable that helped lead me out of Egypt. I cannot tell you how many judges I've had to come speak repentance and restoration to me. But you know what? I thank God for every single one of them. Or else I would not be standing here. Let's stand to our feet. This morning I want to give you a challenge. I want to challenge you. I want God to say, okay, it's time that we see what we're made of. I do. It's time we go to the next level. And if you are dealing with an idol in your life, something that's controlling you and costing you and indebting you, costing you your family, costing you your children, costing you your husband, costing you your wife, costing you your witness, you know, if you compromise your witness, people won't trust you. They won't trust you. This week I had, I had the news of a very good friend that I had mentored and ministered to fall to sin in a, in a very bad way and lose his ministry. The enemy had allowed an idol to be established, and it got the best of him.
God hopefully will restore him through repentance. But this morning I'm asking you, I know this is a sovereign time, but you know what, this is a holy time too. I'm asking that as the praise team comes, that these altars are open. There are people that will pray with you. And if you want to come forward, you don't have to tell anyone what you're dealing with. You can tell Father God. He's very confidential. Okay? Get rid. Strike a blow to that idol. Strike a blow to the source of that idol. Use the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God and say, no more. I renounce commitment with this. I renounce it and get rid of it out of my life. Shut that door and lock it. And let God place a, a ministering angel there that you never have to go back there again. For once, that hidden room that you've been keeping has been costing you time, 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 time. Open it up and let Father God have what's in there. And no longer will we place idols on the altar with the Messiah. Altars are open. Thank you. Nothing I desire compares with